Go ahead and turn in your Bibles today, you guys, to the book of James, chapter 2. We are moving along in our series in James. I think we've been in James for around a month now or so, somewhere around there. Uh, Four messages, if I'm not mistaken. And we are going to be looking at a message entitled today, The Proof is in the Pudding. You're like, is this guy really about to talk about pudding for 45 minutes? The answer is no, I'm not going to talk about pudding. Um, If you guys have ever heard of the word uh, idiom, it's like an English term that's used for phrases like the proof is in the pudding where it doesn't actually mean what it says. It has another meaning. And basically the meaning of the phrase, the proof is in the pudding, is that the value, the quality, or the genuineness of something, it lies in the results. So I want you to just kind of think that over with our title today, and you'll see on the screens that we will be in James 2, verses 14 through 26. And really what we're talking about today is not pudding. We are talking about faith and works. Very important message for us today to make sure that we understand. And before we dive into our main text today, you guys, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we we recognize that this is your living word. God, we do not show up on Sundays to just read words from a, uh, a book, but Lord, we, we show up, Lord, to hear from you. God, to hear what the Spirit would have to say through your word today, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you would give us those ears to hear, Lord, that you would give us those hearts to learn, Lord, and that you would help us to live these things out. Lord, we don't want to be the ones who hear the word and don't do it. Lord, we want to be the ones who do it. So God, would you help us today? Lord, would you magnify your word in this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been kind of moving on in the book of James on Sundays, you guys, we have, uh, we've covered a variety of topics, and we're only in the end of chapter two. We've talked about trials. We talked about temptation. We talked about not showing partiality. We talked about what it means to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. And that brings us to where we are today, which is faith and works. And before we dive into that, into these short 13 verses, I want to, like something I'm big on is um, I want to define the terms that we're going to be using today. You're going to hear me talk about faith a lot today. You're going to hear me talk about works a lot today. I want to make sure that you have an understanding of what I mean when I say faith and what I mean when I say works. So let's define our terms really quick. Number one, faith. If you are taking notes, I would encourage you to write these things down. Um, And I am a big advocate for taking notes. It helps me stay focused. It helps me learn, and I have something to look back on in case I forget. But faith, you guys, in the context of what we are talking about today in James 2 is a conviction or belief in the existence of God and the salvation he has provided through his son, Jesus. So some people, you know, different things come to their mind when they hear the word faith, but for you to know when we mention faith today in our study, that's what we're talking about, the conviction or belief in God and his salvation through Jesus. And works, you're going to hear me talk a lot about works today. When we talk about works, you guys, we are talking about an act, a deed, or a thing that is done. So the idea that 
you know, of, of works is like doing good deeds. That's kind of, you know, the concept with works. And in case you're not, you know, quite tracking with what I'm saying, some examples, examples help me understand things, is like giving to someone who's in need. That would be a good work. Or uh, encouraging someone who's hurting. You know, maybe you have a friend who lost a loved one or lost someone who's close to them and you come alongside them during that difficult season. You're doing a good work for your friend. Uh, or maybe you mow the grass of your elderly neighbor, uh, not to get paid by them, but just to help them out. Their, you know, their yard's getting out of control, and uh, maybe you do get paid, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you're, you're being helpful towards that person. You are doing a good work. So are we clear on what faith and works are before we kind of move forward? I want to make sure that, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about it a lot. So we have a good understanding of those. We ready to move on? Cool. I like head nods. I like participation. So uh, roll with me today on that, you guys. But uh, the main principle that we are going to be talking about today, and I encourage you to write this down, is that genuine saving faith will always produce good works. Genuine saving faith will always produce good works. And I want you to kind of like notice the specific words that are used there. Genuine, meaning true, real, saving, the kind of faith that saves a sinner from hell to heaven because of Jesus, that kind of faith will always produce good works, okay? Now, you should be open in your Bibles already to James chapter 2, and we are going to look, I'll give you a little bit more time to jot that down if you're still writing it down. But we are now going to look into James 2, verses 14 through 17, in our first point, which is dead faith. Dead faith. And we'll see James mention this in this portion of scripture. So look down with me in your Bibles, if you have one. If you don't, uh, we have it on the screen for you, so go ahead and look up there. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, in uh Talking about this dead kind of faith, you guys might see me at a couple times or you might see on the screens, this faith, I will use like air quotations or you'll see quotations on the screen because it's like, a, okay, this is not an actual genuine faith that we're talking about. The word is faith, but it's not a genuine faith. And so James identifies that there's this ingenuine kind of faith that someone could have, which is a dead faith, a faith that does not have works. You see, a faith that doesn't produce good works, you guys, is a dead faith, according to James. And in verse 14, we see James kind of use this like series of rhetorical questions. You guys know what a rhetorical question is? It's like a a question that is asked in like a way that leads you to the obvious answer, right? And he uses these rhetorical questions to point us to the obvious answer of his questions. What are his questions? He says, what does it profit if someone says he has faith, but does not have work, does not have work, excuse me. 
the obvious answer that James is trying to get at is it doesn't profit. You see, the faith that does not have works, faith that does not have works, it does not profit. It has no value to it. The idea is that this kind of faith is no, no good for anyone. It does no good. And the second question that James asks is he says, can faith save him? Now, this question is actually really important for us to think about in its context, because, you know, if I were to ask a lot of you, how, how does one get saved? Like, how do we uh, get to go to heaven? Many of you would say by placing faith in Jesus Christ, and you would be right. But James asked this rhetorical question in the context of what he's talking about with faith and work. So make sure you understand that. Uh, don't separate it from the argument that James is trying to make. But he says, in a, in a sense, what he is saying is, if you remove, if it were possible to remove the good works from true faith, can that kind of faith save? Can that kind of faith cause someone to go to heaven? And the obvious answer that James is getting at is no. You, first of all, you can't separate genuine faith from good works. But if you were able to, that kind of faith, he says, is a dead faith that cannot save. And in verse 15 through 16, we see James, he gives us this example of what a dead faith kind of looks like in action, or dead faith kind of not in action, technically. And we see the illustration he kind of gives of, uh, you know, seeing someone in need and, you know, saying, rather than actually helping the person, saying like, depart in peace, be warm and filled. I want to kind of give you guys an example. I'll put myself in the example, and I want you to just think about it like this. This is like a loose paraphrase of what James is getting at. Imagine after church today, when I was in uh, high school and junior high, a lot of times my family would go to In-N-Out after church. So let's use In-N-Out as the example. Uh, imagine after church today, I was walking to In-N-Out. And today's like a, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a gloomy day. I don't think the sun has peaked out too much yet. But imagine it's like even more gloomy of a day, colder, uh, like there's been rain throughout the day. And I'm walking in and out. I got my umbrella. I'm staying dry. Um, and I see a person that I used to go to high school with. Let's say his name is Joe, right? I don't know if you guys have ever walked from, uh, from church to in and out but you might know, you can almost picture the pathway in your head. And I'm walking and I see Joe on the side of the road. And I went to high school with Joe. I haven't seen him since high school. High school has been about a little over 10 years for me. Uh, but I have, there's a lot of people I haven't seen since high school. But I see Joe and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's Joe. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, Joe is, he's wearing raggedy clothes. He's sitting on the side of the road, just getting soaking wet from the rain. Looks like he's freezing. He's visibly shivering. And imagine I walk by, I see Joe, and I'm like, oh my goodness, is that Joe? And Joe's like, yeah, it's me, Tate. And I'm like, wow, Joe, you look, you look hungry, you look cold. Joe, I'm going to pray that you would be warm and that your stomach would be filled. See you later, Joe. <laughs> and that's what I do. James says this is the equivalent of a dead faith, a faith that talks the spiritual talk. Doesn't it sound so like spiritual and like so Christian? Like, oh man, Joe, I'll pray for you, man. Like, I'll pray that you get warm. I'll pray that you get some food in you. 
it sounds so spiritual. And sometimes we talk like this. But what James is saying is talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Do the work. Do the good work. He says, you didn't do anything for him. You didn't give him a blanket. You didn't help warm him up. You profited nothing. Your dead faith profited nothing in that moment. We need to make sure that we understand that genuine faith is the kind of faith that does produce good works. A faith that does not produce good works is not genuine. And James, he gives us this example. James doesn't talk about Joe and me, but he talks about the example that's kind of similar to it. Uh, that Why is he even bothering to tell us? Because he's trying to communicate to us that faith, faith that does not produce good works or faith that is not accompanied by good works is another way to say it, is dead and useless. Very strong words that James uses. And I, I really like the way James writes because I'm a pretty straight up kind of guy. I like you just tell me like it is, you know, and that's kind of how James is. That's how he writes. And he is very straight up in talking about this. How many of you guys are familiar with the story or the parable of the good Samaritan? You guys ever heard of that one? Uh, yeah. So this story, I'm going to not read word for word, but I'm going to kind of tell you about it. We'll have the verses on the screen that you can kind of look to as I talk about it. But basically, Jesus is having this conversation with a lawyer who asks, is essentially trying to get like with Jesus and say like, Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And then Jesus tells him to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this lawyer is like, okay, but who is my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus goes on to give the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so it's actually really similar to the example that James gives us. And I want you to kind of note down maybe just the verse reference and the parable of the Good Samaritan if you are taking notes. But basically the story goes that there's this man who is in need on the side of the road. He was robbed. Uh, he was stripped of his clothing. He's laying there. He's hungry, kind of like the example that James gives us as well. And he's on the side of the road. And down comes the priest, all right, and the Levite. And these two guys, you, these should have been like the most spiritual guys in the entire land of Israel. But instead of going and helping this man, what do they do? In the story, it says that they actually cross over to the other side of the road. So they go out of their way, not to help him, they go out of their way to avoid him. And then comes walking down the road, this Samaritan, which if you know kind of the cultural context of what was going on at the time, uh, Samaritans were kind of like these outcasts almost, like the Jews were not like cool with Samaritans. And so Jesus uses this example of the Samaritan and says the Samaritan comes down the road, sees the man in his need, does not pass by on the other side of the road, but goes straight to him, scoops the man up essentially, takes care of his wounds, gets him to the nearest inn, gets him some food, pays the innkeeper actually to make sure that he's taken care of because he had to, the Samaritan kind of had to go about like his business so he couldn't stay with him forever. But he pays the innkeeper. He's like, hey, I want you to take care of this man until I come again. And if I owe you any more money, like I'll pay you what I owe. 
but please make sure that this man is taken care of. And so wouldn't, would you guys agree that the Levite and the, uh, the priests, they're a pretty good example of what a dead faith kind of looks like, right? A dead faith is a faith that doesn't have the action, that doesn't have the good works. But then you have the Samaritan, which would you guys agree just by way of head nods that this Samaritan is, embodies what like a faith that has works look like, right? Would you agree? I would agree. I would say that, yes, this is what a faith that has good works looks like. So look back in James chapter two, you guys. We're gonna be moving on to our second point today. And so after telling us about what a faith without works, which is a dead faith, looks like, James now moves on to telling us where works do have their place in the equation, or not necessarily equation, but the way faith and works work together. And that's our second point today, if you are taking notes, which is proving faith. Proving faith. Look down with me, chapter 2, verse 18. Let's read it together. Not out loud, but you guys follow along. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. If you guys do write in your Bibles, don't write in the ones if you uh, loaned it out. But if you write in your Bible and don't mind underlining or circling, I would encourage you to circle that word by in the statement that James makes there. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And we'll stop right there. And so in the beginning of verse 18, James gives this example of someone who might say, uh, might make an argument saying something like, okay, you have faith and I have works. So this this person who sees faith and works as separate. James is going to kind of destroy that way of thinking uh, in these next couple of verses that we're going to look at. He says to this person who says, you have faith, I have works, sees them as separate. James kind of tackles this argument in a couple of ways. Number one, he challenges this logic. He challenges this way of thinking of seeing faith and works as separate, like you have the faith, all have the works or vice versa. He says that essentially what he's getting at is like, show it to me. You say you have faith, show it to me. You see, we could, like we we had mentioned, like we could talk the talk all day long. We could talk about faith and Christian things all day long, but it does not necessarily prove that that genuine faith is within us. Faith in and of itself, like at its very core, is not something you can see, but what can you see? You can see the evidence for faith. You can see the evidence for faith in the fruits of the Spirit, the character traits that are mentioned in Galatians 5. You can see the evidence for faith in good works, specifically what we are talking about today. You see, a lot of people will make the statement, they'll say, I have faith in God. And what James basically says to that is prove it. You see, I can't see that you have faith in God apart from the works that, you, that come from the faith that you claim to have. 
And the second way James kind of tackles this argument is he says, I love the boldness of James here. I really do. This is one of my favorite parts of this text is James is so bold. He says, you know, show me your faith without your works, but I'll show you my faith by my works. I love that. You see, James understood that you can't prove faith apart from works. That's why the second point is proving faith. That's kind of what uh, works do in us. They prove the genuine saving faith that is within us. You see, faith is not just something that we talk about, you guys. It's not just this theoretical idea that doesn't affect our lives. That's a dead faith. The faith, the genuine saving faith that we have, it affects everything about us. It affects the way that we talk, yes, but also it affects the way that we walk, the things that we do, the way that we live, the works that we do for other people, the way that we love. And this is consistent with what Jesus taught, what he told his disciples in John 13. I would encourage you to note down the verse, just the reference. Uh, In John 13, 35, he says to the disciples, he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples. You're like, by what, Jesus? That you have love for one another. Now again, uh, excuse me, Jesus is not talking about this like fairy tale love that just, you know, sounds so great. And no, he's talking about a love that has action. He says, the world will know that you are mine by the way that you love, the things that you do, the way that you treat people. It's not just a love that's talked about. It's a love that is accompanied by action. The way that we display the love of God towards one another and towards the world is the evidence for the faith that we claim to have. I love what it says in Matthew 5.16. Look to the screens. It says, let your light so shine before men, this is Jesus, he says, that they may see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see the good things that you do, that they may see the way that you love one another and do what in turn? That they would glorify God. You see, the presence of good works in our lives, you guys, is what it means to let our light shine. We talk all about, you know, growing up in church, you guys sing the songs, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know? We talk all about letting our light shine, but practically speaking, how do we do that? We do it by doing good things towards people. We do it by loving people. Works, this this sounds confusing, but it's not as confusing as it sounds. Works work with our faith to prove that it is a genuine saving faith. And what James is teaching us here in verses 18 through 20, you guys, is that there is this essential connectedness of faith and works. Remember, he kind of destroys that logic of one who sees faith and works as separate entities. They are connected is what James is trying to get us to understand. And back to that main principle we talked about at the beginning of the study, you guys, that genuine saving faith, it will always produce good works. It will always produce good works. 
You see, a faith that is without works is a dead faith. We already learned that. That was our first point. But a works, or works, you could say, without faith is just the idea of like man-made religion, man's way of trying to earn favor with God apart from the blood of Jesus. We don't want to have faith without works because it's dead. We don't want to have works without faith because then we're discrediting the sacrifice of Jesus. We're saying, no, I, I'm just going to try and get to heaven on my own way. You won't make it, by the way. You need that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If it were left up to us, everybody would, would go to hell. But Jesus redeemed us. He made a way for us to go to heaven by his blood. So faith and works, they are connected. I want to illustrate it in this way, you guys. How many of you guys have ever been on a canoe? I had to like double check and make sure I understood what the difference was between a canoe and kayak because they're pretty similar. I think it mostly has to do with like the shape of the boat. And also uh, when you kayak, it's like you hold the middle of the paddle and you have like a dual-sided paddle. But canoe, you have a single-sided paddle. And this guy in the, uh, in the picture, he has uh, two oars. Both are single-sided oars, and they're kind of rigged up to where uh, he can just kind of make this motion as he goes and move himself through the water rowing with both oars. But I want you guys to think about it like this. Think of the, the faith as being, or think of faith itself as being like the oar that you could see towards the top of the screen, the one that's in his right hand. And think of works as the oar that's in his left hand. Now let's imagine that we take the or of faith out of the equation, and we just leave the or of works. What is he going to do? He's going to paddle with one, and where is he going to go? He's going to go in circles. He's not going anywhere. But wait a second. What if we keep the or of faith, but we remove the or of works? What's going to happen? He's just going to spin the other way. And the idea, you guys, is we must have the faith and the works that are connected, working together. You see, the, the real, uh, you know, the illustration is just illustration, but you can't actually only have one oar, is what James is trying to teach us today. You must be rowing with both oars, faith and works, working together. Leave your spot in James chapter 2, but I want you guys to turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It is right before Philippians, right after Galatians. Give you guys a moment to get there. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. If you're having trouble finding it, that handy dandy table of contents is always in the beginning of the Bible for your help. There is no shame in using that. It's a very helpful tool. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, in your Bibles, look at it, and it's also on the screens for you guys. It says in verse 8, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in this three verses right here, Paul talks about the grace of God. He talks about faith 
and he talks about works, two of which we've already been talking much about. But we need to make sure we understand these essential aspects of the gospel, you guys. This is so important for us to understand. In verse 8, Paul introduces us to the fact that salvation, the blood of Jesus, our redemption, is a gift of God according to the grace of God. Now, we've kind of like, we don't give gifts in the way that gifts are should be given. You know, with Christmas, we're always like, did you earn, you know, the... Were you a good uh, boy or girl this year to earn this gift? You know, and that's the way we often think about gifts. But gifts in and of themselves in their essential nature are something that you're given that you did not do anything to earn or deserve it. And God says that his salvation, his sending of Jesus is a gift. It is by his grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And yet God says, here you go. And Paul in verse, uh, I believe it's still in verse eight. Yeah, he says that this gift is received through faith. So the gift is offered, the gift is received through faith. And so now we're talking about faith, which is what we've been talking about in James two as well. Faith is the way that we receive it. You see, when we place our full trust and reliance upon what Jesus did for our redemption on the cross, we are saying yes to the gift. We are accepting the gift. We are doing it through faith. But then I love where verse 10, you know, sometimes these verses, they're often quoted verses in Ephesians 2. They're often quoted separate from one another, but I think they should more so be quoted together. You see, verses 8 and 9 talk about that God's grace is how he gave us salvation and that he even goes, uh, Paul says that it's not of works lest anyone should be able to boast, meaning that your works, they don't contribute to the salvation of your soul. The only thing that we contribute to salvation, you guys, is we provide the sin that needed dying for. Paul says your works don't contribute to it, But what happens? The genuine saving faith takes over and he goes on in verse 10. I'm going to read it again. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works flow out of us when we do have that genuine saving faith. The fruit of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit is produced naturally by walking in the Spirit. We don't strain or strive to you know, produce fruit. We're not like, ah, produce fruit, or ah, do good works. No, these things naturally flow out of us when we have that genuine saving faith and are walking in the Spirit. I might have forgot to tell you guys, I think I might have said, but uh, leave, you know, to leave a spot in James 2. I don't know if I did, but we're, ju- we're jumping back to James 2. So I'll give you a second to turn back there in case I did forget to tell you to leave your spot there. But we're going to be looking now at verse 19. I don't know if you guys noticed this verse when the initial time when we first read it, but this is a crazy verse, crazy verse. Let's read it again. Verse 19. James says, You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Isn't that crazy to think about? 
I think that's pretty crazy to think about. You see, a lot of people will say, in my conversations with people, you know, like evangelizing and just daily conversations, uh, talking about God and faith and all that, uh, a lot of people will actually say that they believe in God. More often than not, I run into people who say like, yeah, you know, I believe in God, but they don't really know like what they're believing in. They don't have that genuine saving faith. I run into a lot more people who say they believe in God than people who say that, oh no, there's no chance there's a God. That's just my personal experience. But people might say that they believe in God or believe in one God. And what James has to say to that is basically like, good for you. <laughs> like, even the demons are capable in believing that there is one God and are capable in believing in the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. And I'm not going to share the specific verses, but we see throughout the Gospels, you guys, that there are these instances where Jesus will cast out a demon from a man or a woman, and the demon will actually speak through the man or woman and will say something like, what are we to do with you, Jesus, the Son of God or Son of the Most High God? And there's different kind of examples throughout the Gospels. But the idea, why, why, why is James talking about demons? Why is he talking about demons, you know, believing in one God? Why does he bring it up? Because the idea is that even the demons are capable of having what we could consider a dead faith, a faith that does not transform, a faith that has no works, a faith that simply acknowledges, yeah, there's a God. Yeah, I believe in one God, and that's it. My life is unaffected. I don't do any good works. A lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. And I love just how straight up again that James is, you know, uh, you're going to run into a lot of people in life who say they believe in God. You will. But don't assume that every person who says that knows the truth of the gospel. You know, as you, we just had John 3:16 day uh, a couple weeks ago, you guys, like when talking to people, like we want to make sure like that we're, we're encouraging people to be born again which is different than just believing in one God. And so in verse 20, you guys, in case you didn't catch it, let's read it one more time. This is the second time James says what he says. He says, but do you want to know, O foolish man? Again, he says that faith without works is dead. This is the second time, meaning James does not want to leave any room for misunderstanding in us reading this and to the people he was writing to. He doesn't want us to misunderstand that if we claim to have faith, there must be the presence of works that are produced through that genuine faith. And so finally, our third point today, you guys, is, if you are taking notes, is examples of faith that works. Examples of faith that works. In case you don't remember, uh, the series title of the book of James is Faith That Works. And it's based on what we're talking about today. And James, in verses 21 through 25, he gives us a couple examples of what a faith that works looks like. He points to a couple examples in the Old Testament. Look with me in verse 21. We'll pick up where we left off. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect? 
And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Again, if you uh, write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline that word only. It's an important word. And in verse 25, last verse of our third point, uh, likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So James, he turns our attention to a couple of Old Testament examples to basically like, okay, make sure you get it. Make sure that you know how these examples lived out what we're talking about. And the story of Abraham, you guys, I don't know if you know the story of Abraham back in Genesis, uh, but it was technically Abram at the time. God calls Abraham and God calls him to go to a land that God would show him. Meaning, Abraham, I'm not necessarily telling you where we're going just yet, but I want you to follow me to this land that I will show you. And so by faith, Abraham, he obeys, he obeys God and follows the call that God placed on his life. Now, God makes this covenant with Abraham to make his descendants as numerous as the stars, that he would be the father of nations. And Abraham and his wife, uh, they end up having Isaac, one of their sons, who was considered the son of the promise. And when I say one of their sons, one of Abraham's sons, technically, uh, Hagar and Ishmael was with Hagar, uh, their maidservant. But Abraham and Sarah, they have Isaac, the son of the, prom- the promise, excuse me. And God tells Abraham that through Isaac, he's going to fulfill the covenant which he made to him. And so time goes on. Isaac becomes a young man, probably like in his uh, late teens, somewhere around there, where the story, the, the story that we often think of with Abraham and Isaac uh, comes, comes into play. And if you know the story, You know that God tells Abraham, basically says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, Isaac, on the altar. You're like, whoa, is God a God a human sacrifice? No, if you know the story, God does not have Abraham actually do this. But it was the proving of Abraham's faith. And so this is the moment where God was going to, as James puts it, perfect or complete Abraham's faith by causing him to do the work. And so Abraham obeys the Lord, takes Isaac up Mount Moriah. They get up the mountain. Isaac's like, uh, dad, where is the, where's the sacrifice that we're going to be sacrificing? And Abraham says, uh, the Lord will provide. And so Isaac be, uh, Abraham, excuse me, begins to tie Isaac to the altar and is about to slay his only son as God had told him to do. And what happens? It says the angel of the Lord calls out to Abraham, tells him to stop and to not lay a hand on the boy. And so, and then God provides the sacrifice. But basically the, the angel goes on to bless Abraham for his obedience and his faith, which had now been proved. Hebrews 11, considered the hall of faith, many say of it, but it says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. You see, Abraham's works confirmed or proved that his faith was indeed genuine. 
James says it in verse 22 in this way. He says that faith was working together with his works and that by faith, his faith, or I'm sorry, by works, excuse me, by works, faith was made perfect or the idea is made complete. And then Rahab's example. James also mentions Rahab uh, as an example of a faith that works. See, Rahab, her example is a little bit different. She's actually a prostitute in the city of Jericho at the time. And she was aware to the fact she believed in the God of Israel. And she saw that the God of Israel was giving the land. This is back in the conquests of Israel, basically, when God was giving them the lands. And she saw that God was giving the land of Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. And she basically, you know, she receives the spies If you know the story, she cares for them, helps them escape. You see, her faith was paired with the works of receiving the spies and caring for them. And her faith was remembered uh, by the Israelites, ultimately, who spared her, but also remembered by God. Hebrews 11.31 says of Rahab that by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And so what James wants us to grasp here in bringing up the examples of Abraham and Rahab is that there was this harmonious relationship between their faith and their works, meaning that they were working together. The faith was working with the works. Again, remembering that these two are connected. They cannot be separated from one another. Their genuine faith was proved by the works that they did. See, to only have faith, you guys, is to only have half of the equation, a dead faith. To only have works like we talk about is uh, to have a version of like man-made religion, just trying to earn favor and salvation with God. Works are what, as James says it, complete faith or perfect faith. And so for a third time in verse 26, James reminds us, he does not let us leave this section of scripture without hearing it again. He says in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As the body without the spirit is dead, so without faith So faith without work, excuse me, is dead also. Uh, Have you guys ever been to a funeral? A lot of us have. Um, I've been to quite a few funerals. um, And I've only been to one funeral that had uh, what's called an open casket funeral. And I didn't really like it. Uh, So what an open casket funeral, you guys, is, um, sorry to get morbid, literally, but... um, it's, it, they have the casket of the person who has passed away, and the casket is literally open. You can see the face of the person who has died. And I remember, I was probably around like junior high, high school, I don't remember the exact age, uh, but the old principal of the Christian school that I used to go to growing up, um, now that I remember, I think it was in high school, uh, but she, she had passed away, I think it was some form of cancer, um, and she, she, had, she had passed on, and so my family and I, we went to the funeral, um, and we 
it, when you go to visit the casket, it's like a sign of respect. It's kind of like how you pay your respects to uh, the family and the person. And I remember walking up and seeing her there, a woman that I used to remember was so kind and, you know, just loving and just a great person. But I'm looking down and I am seeing just this empty shell. Like there's nothing there. Like there, there's a body, but there's no soul. There's no spirit dwelling within it. And James says that that's the idea of what a faith without works looks like. The body's there. It might seem like someone might be there, but there, there's nobody there. The soul is removed from the body. You can't, it's the, it's the concept of a faith without works. It's dead. And this is, this is heavy stuff today, guys. I, you know, the Bible, James does not hold back in what he's saying here. And quite literally, you guys, our understanding of what he's talking about with faith and works, it could very well affect the eternal destinations of some of you in this room, meaning that we got to make sure we get this right. You see, God will not accept a faith that is not paired with works because it's, number one, it's a dead faith and it's not a real faith. The good news is, is that if we do have a genuine saving faith, I love this. I love what Ephesians 2.10 says, that if you have a genuine saving faith, that you don't need to strain or try really hard to do the works. What does it say in Ephesians 2.10? It says that God has laid the works out before you beforehand, and what do you do? You just walk in them. I've shared this illustration before uh, a while back, and, um, but, but it's because it, it just makes sense to me and it helps me understand. Have you guys ever been like uh, walking alongside the beach, like um, not in the wet sand, but the, like, the not wet sand that's like really thick and like you're walking in, it's pretty tiring. Or the uh, same thing as like with the snow, you know, with fresh powder, you're walking in, your feet are sinking and it's hard to walk in. The idea is it's like you have the Lord walking before you already laying out the footprints, pro tip, in case you're walking in the sand or in the, uh, uh, in the snow, if you step in the footprints of the person in front of you, it's actually a, quite easier to walk because they've already packed down the sand or the snow. And it's like God has walked before us. He has packed down the sand or the snow and we just follow in the footsteps that he's already laid out. It's like this, good work that God prepared beforehand. Good work good work. That's the idea. He has laid them out. What do we do? Our genuine saving faith causes us to walk in those works. Titus 3.8, Paul encourages Titus. He says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. So on the other side of, you know, the coin or the argument is that God will also not accept works apart from faith. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that there's going to be some who stand before him who will basically be pleading their own case on the basis of what they did for God. Like, God, I did this good thing. They even say like, I cast out demons in your name. I did this. I did that. And what does it say that Jesus says to them? It says that Jesus turns to them and says, I never knew you. Why does he say that? Because they, they might have had the works, 
but they did not have the saving faith. So what kind of faith does God accept? The kind of genuine faith that produces good works. Let's walk away from today, you guys, accepting the call of God upon our lives to display our faith to the world through works. I don't want there to be a single one of you who leaves this place today just talking the spiritual talk. We want to walk the walk. Walking the walk, doing the works. No one should outdo us, the church, not just this church, but anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. No one should outdo us in the area of good works. It shouldn't be, you know, this version of religion is outdoing more good things for the world than Christians are. We should be the ones who are taking the charge on that. And may we be busy about doing good works towards others because in so we, in doing so we are proving our faith. We are proving the validity and genuineness of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to miss this. Lord, we don't want to casually walk out of this place today and that these words that we listen to, Lord, the words that we read in your word today would take no effect on us, would, would bear no fruit in our lives. Rather, on the contrary, Lord, what our desire is, is that you would change us, Lord. Lord, that our faith that we have would not just be us talking the talk, Lord, that we would truly walk the walk. And worship team, you guys can come on out. Father, we don't want to be as earlier in James, he says, Lord, those who just hear the word and don't do it. But God, we want to be the ones who do your word. Help us to apply these things to our lives, Lord. Lord, we recognize that we will probably have good, not probably, we do have good works that you have already laid out for us this day and this week as we go to our schools, as we go back home to our families, as we go wherever you call us, Lord. There are good works that you have already prepared before us. You've already laid out the footprints for us to walk in. God, may we walk in those good works. Help us to be faithful to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.